This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The Democrats retained control of the Senate after Catherine Cortez Masto was elected for a Nevada seat. That gives the party 50 seats in the upper house, with only Georgia, which has gone to a runoff, still to declare. Ms. Cortez Masto beat Adam Laxalt, a Donald Trump-endorsed Republican, emphasizing what a torrid midterms the former president's picks have endured. The result followed that in Arizona, in which Mark Kelly, the Democratic incumbent, beat Blake Masters, another Trump endorsee. The Republicans, however, still look favorites to flip the House of Representatives, although with a smaller majority than they had originally hoped for. With some vote counts proceeding at a glacial pace, the full results for the lower chamber may not be known for days. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky said in his daily address that authorities in the city of Kherson had discovered thousands of mines and shells left by Russian troops who withdrew on Friday. Much of the city's critical infrastructure was also destroyed. Russia announced that Yenichesk, a town 180 kilometers away on the Sea of Azov, would become the temporary administrative capital of Kherson province. Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, and Ibrahim Raisi, his Iranian counterpart, held a phone call to discuss political, trade, and economic cooperation between their countries. At an earlier meeting on Wednesday, Iranian and Russian security officials shared measures to combat Western interference in their internal affairs. Both countries are facing discontent at home and are subject to Western sanctions. Rumors of a hack caused yet more problems for FTX, a crypto exchange that filed for bankruptcy on Friday. Assets worth hundreds of millions of dollars were withdrawn from accounts that day, according to crypto analysts. The company's general counsel tweeted that FTX was investigating unauthorized transactions and speeding up the transfer of its digital assets to cold storage, which is not connected to the internet, to mitigate damage. The Ethiopian government and rebels from the Tigray region signed an agreement to allow humanitarian workers to deliver aid to starving Tigrayans and to set up a disarmament committee. Last week, the two sides, which have been engaged in a bloody two-year conflict, called a truce while talks over a peace deal take place in Kenya. Janet Yellen, America's Treasury Secretary, indicated she would quiz the head of China's National Bank about whether China plans to loosen its zero-COVID policy and how it would deal with its property market crisis. Ms. Yellen is due to meet Yi Gang at the G20 summit in Bali on Monday. China recorded nearly 15,000 new COVID infections on Saturday, a hefty caseload by its recent standards. And word of the week. Acquis communautaire. The body of all EU laws, treaties and standards that candidate countries must adopt upon accession to the bloc. Consider the term part of Eurospeak. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Bali's battery bonanza gets underway. 
In the days before the G20 summit of global leaders kicks off on Tuesday, Indonesia, the host country, has a rare chance to market its business opportunities to the world. The B20 summit, organized by the Indonesian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, gets underway in Bali on Sunday. Despite Indonesia's huge population, its economy has been overshadowed by growth stars like China and Vietnam. But the country contains 21 million tons of nickel, more than a fifth of the world's supply. The metal is a crucial component of the batteries required for electric vehicles. The government wants to find backers for industry rather than simply to export raw nickel. LG and Hyundai, which are Korean electronics companies, and CATL, a Chinese battery giant, have already made large investments in battery production. The next company Indonesian officials want to lure is Tesla. Conversations between the government and Elon Musk, Tesla's chief executive and Twitter's new owner, are underway, but it is not yet clear whether the top tweeter can be tempted to invest some of Tesla's billions in the archipelago. Slovenia is likely to elect its first female president. Barring a political earthquake, Slovenes will elect Natasha Pierce-Mossar as their first female president on Sunday. Ms. Pierce-Mossar, a center-left candidate, came in second on the first round of the poll on October 23rd, behind Anze Logar, a candidate of the right. Mr. Logar is a close associate of Yanez Jansha, the Trump-admiring former prime minister who still wields great clout. According to pollsters, Mr. Logar has failed to win over many beyond Mr. Jansha's supporters, whereas Ms. Pierce Musar should pick up most of the center-left vote, which was split in the first round. Borat Pahor, the outgoing president, stood by as Mr. Jansha became increasingly autocratic before he lost an election last April to Robert Golub, a far more liberal politician. The Slovenian president has limited powers, but an active one can be influential by holding the government to account. Ms. Pierce Massar, a lawyer who ran as an independent, aims to reinvigorate the office. How Beavers Improve Water Quality Before Europeans arrived, 10% of North America was submerged under fresh water. That is what 4 million beavers, the dam-building population back then, will do to a continent. Today, climate change is making North America hotter and drier. Droughts cause contaminants to build up and degrade water quality. But new research in Nature Communications, a journal, reveals how nature's own hydrologic engineers are coming to the rescue. Ecologists found that beavers' prolific construction counteracts the damage done by more extreme seasons. Their dams raise the water level upstream, flooding the surrounding riparian zone. This zone acts as a filter, purifying fresh water before it re-enters the main waterway downstream. Water tests reveal that a beaver dam removes one contaminant, nitrate, even more efficiently than unnaturally heavy rainfall. When humans alter their environment, nature often has a way of providing a counterbalance. The ever-industrious beaver is exactly that. England's cricketers face off against Pakistan. 
What spoil sports England are. Countless millions in South Asia had hoped to tune in this Sunday for perhaps the biggest sporting grudge match of all, an India v. Pakistan cricket final. On Thursday, India crashed out in the semi-final of the T20 World Cup against a rampant England. The upcoming duel between England and Pakistan is unlikely to disappoint. England are favorites to win their second T20 title in front of some 90,000 people in Melbourne. Pakistan are the very definition of mercurial, capable of comical implosions, but utterly irresistible on their day. In Joss Butler, England have a batsman who can plonk the ball, seemingly at will, into any stand in the ground, the epitome of the team's ultra-aggressive style. But Pakistan are hardly short of match winners, including their swashbuckling captain, Babar Azam, who has just hit form. This being cricket, the weather may spoil things. The forecast is atrocious. Otherwise, expect fireworks. Weekend Profile Allah Abd el-Fatah Egypt's Prisoner of Conscience In 2011, Allah Abd el-Fatah turned 30 in a Cairo jail. He spent his 40th birthday behind bars, too. In fact, the human rights activist has marked many of life's milestones from inside a cell, his son's birth, his father's death. Again in custody, he is Egypt's most high-profile political prisoner and a source of international embarrassment to its thuggish government. Egypt had hoped to use COP27, the UN climate conference taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh, to polish its image. But Mr. Abdel Fattah, who recently escalated a months-long hunger strike by refusing water, is making that impossible. America's president, Joe Biden, raised Mr. Abdel Fattah's case with his Egyptian counterpart on Friday. Many other leaders and luminaries have called for his release. Mr. Abd el-Fattah was born to Egyptian intellectuals with an activist bent. Imprisonment prevented his father from attending the birth of his daughter, the beginning of a dark family tradition. Mr. Abd el-Fattah's first taste of protest came in 2005, when Egyptians decried election rigging by the government of Hansi Mubarak, the dictator who ruled from 1981 to 2011. By 2011, when the Arab Spring swept the Middle East, Mr. Abd el-Fattah had become a leader of Egypt's uprising. After General Abdel Fattah al-Sisi helped topple a democratically elected government in 2003, he was arrested again for allegedly organizing against a new law banning protests. He has since spent most of his time in prison. Mr. Abdel Fattah's confrontation with the Egyptian regime may now be reaching a climax. In December, he received a five-year prison sentence for, quote, undermining national security. He has been on hunger strike for more than 200 days and has refused water since last weekend. On Thursday, his sister said authorities had started a, quote, medical intervention. The government is happy to let him die, she insisted, but not, quote, while the world is watching. All the more reason to pay attention. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. 
The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Kabchai, King Chachaval, Bangkok, Thailand. North America, Bob Bedier, Vancouver, Canada. Central and South America, Ramon Azpurura, Caracas, Venezuela. Europe, Eleanor Smith, Cambridge, Britain. Africa, Madeline Wackernagel, Naromoru, Kenya. Oceania, Kieran Donahue, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of David Bowie, Harper Lee, Muhammad Ali, he was Cassius Clay in 1960, Prince, and Jaja Gabor. The theme is that they all died in 2016, a year that was famously deadly for celebrities. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Stan Lee. Luck's a revolving door. You just need to know when it's your time to walk through. That's The World in Brief from The Economist. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. To enjoy all of our journalism, including the full version of The World in Brief and each week's full edition in audio, please consider taking out a subscription. To get the best introductory offer wherever you are around the world, just go to economist.com slash briefing offer.